Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams and I, are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, July 23rd, 2023. And as Mr. Testa likes to say, every show should start with a hearty round of self-congratulations, and after watching last week's episode of Secret Invasion, Aaron and I made a few predictions about what might happen on this week's episode, and Aaron, it turns out we were right. They spent some money on the actual show. <laughs> well, there's that too, but you know, there, there were a couple of character predictions we made. Oh but yeah, I tell yeah you that too, that too, okay. Okay, all right, we'll get to that stuff and talk about it in depth on the second half of today's show, but first... When you celebrate the times when you get it right, you also have to be big enough to admit that you kind of got it wrong. And and toward that end, do you want to share this email we got from Pascal Lavoie? I would say Lavoie. Lavoie. Okay, sorry. It's, it's one of them French-Canadian things, so I would lean French with it, yeah. Okay, uh, cool, cool, cool. Pascal reached out to, uh, to correct me and, and just let me know that while we were chatting about the disagreement between uh, Stan Lee and... And it wasn't John Romita Sr., it was mm -hmm. actually Jack Kirby that were having the disagreement. And he was very sympathetic to my gaffe mm -hmm. because we had been talking about the passing of John Romita Sr. And mm -hmm. so he was very much top of mind for me. And, and so, yes, I just spit out the wrong name without thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to now bow before the court and say, please, please have mercy on my soul. It was a simple mistake. The thing that intrigued me about what Pascal shared, he also dug out a piece of art from a Marvel uh, comic from March of 86, which talked about an actual Captain America musical that was in the works back then. Now, speaking of Rogers the Musical and circling back to Secret Invasion, again, the limited series that Marvel Studios is produced for Disney Plus and we're four episodes in at this point. Did you see that footage that D23 released to social media this past weekend? The one that showed a California Adventure cast member in a full length, I mean, you know, like from the 40s movie usher outfit. Hmm. So first of all, California Sun, very heavy outfit. That would have been hard to wear anywhere. Sure. But he's got a scroll mask on. Because this came from D23, we're supposed to see this. This is one of Disney's official channels. They released it on the 7th. It was probably shot on the, the 6th or the 5th, which is when, I mean, it's not as hot as what's going on in Southern California right now, but it was in the high 70s, you know, low 80s, and it can't have been pleasant. Oh, sure. And and speaking of costumes and the sun, you... You came up with an, an, an interesting factoid that was related to the images that were released earlier this week from the, the actual set of Deadpool 3. You know, they are shooting in the UK right now. In fact, the images we got to see uh, came off of a scene that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman were shooting at a beach somewhere. But right. do you want to describe the... The outfit we got to see Mr. Jackman in? I, I do, but right before we do that, I would like mm. to address a little cited 
factoid in that video. So, mm-hmm. like, they've got uh, Hugh Jackman throwing invisible punches because I don't think Ryan is there. And then he throws, like, what looks mm-hmm. like Deadpool's arm and only arm uh, mm-hmm. through, like, a window. And I think mm-hmm. at that point, Deadpool jumps through, like, a screen for the effect. If you look at the outside of that building, uh, Mm -hmm. it's the 20th Century Fox logo all crumbled and on its side, like someone blew up the 20th Century Fox logo and it decayed like Planet of the Apes style, right? Yeah, and so there had been some rumors of, is this Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe, where he has to go and kill everybody off from the Fox Marvel movies so that... He can get gain entry into the MCU proper. I don't know what they're going to do with the the thing, okay, but we'll, that's we'll, a we'll, we'll circle back to because I have some additional info. There oh, that, okay, that great. Came out of the 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 what I love about the British newspapers is that they have no scruples whatsoever. So we have we have some info that the say say papers did not have. But anyway, okay, so so we'll we'll leave that for later. But yeah, when you if you seek that video, look for the crumbled fox logo in the background. Now let's get to the costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was overjoyed that it was the yellow costume that I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And then as I looked at it, I'm like, well, it's not quite the same. And what leaped out at me at that moment was that uh, Hugh Jackman's arms were covered by, by sleeves in, in the costume. And I was like, well, gee, I wonder why they chose to do that. Because normally that costume is, is without sleeves from the top of the shoulders all the way down to his blue gloves. And then it was reading through comments that someone had brought up the fact that Hugh Jackman had had uh, a couple of different bouts of uh, skin cancer that he has had taken care of. And then he had apparently posted online a little video doing like a public service announcement, uh, warning people about the dangers of skin cancer and make sure that you've got your SPF lotions and such when you go outside. So that explains why... In this case, Wolverine's got sleeves on his costume because Hugh Jackman, uh, you know, he's going to be filming this scene outside on a beach. Uh, mm-hmm. No protection from the sun. So, well, yeah, we'll put sleeves on the costume and make sure that the guy doesn't get harmed from, from mm-hmm. bringing this character back that we love so much. It makes sense. Okay. We get guff about this, folks. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that if you don't want to know too much about Deadpool 3, which, again, is coming out till next year, uh, you want to jump ahead in the show a, a couple of minutes here because there will be spoilers because for the first time ever when I was, again, researching today's show and was looking at the very same photos and video that Aaron was just talking about, the British press also has uh, the log line for this film, which gives away a surprising amount. So uh, are we ready, Aaron? Let me blow the horn. Okay. okay, we're clear. Go for it. Okay, the klaxon has, has been sounded. All right. Here is supposedly the, the gist, so to speak, on Deadpool 3. Hugh Jackman returns to the role despite his death, which, remember, in Logan happened in 2029. In Deadpool 3, we'll reportedly see Ryan Reynolds' anti-hero traveling in time to 2029 to save Wolverine from his fate. And as a direct result, these guys corrupt the multiverse and are then pursued by Mobius. As in Owen Wilson's character, Mobius from Loki? Wow. So now this is a 
does it become a prequel that happens before the Loki series, or does this happen concurrently with the Loki series? There's a lot of questions that now stem off of that. Toward what you just mentioned about the two of them seeming to fight in front of a crumbled 20th Century Fox logo, the, the other piece of info I want to throw on the fire here is you must have seen the news about Jennifer Garner. Playing Electra who play Electra yeah. in this movie. And, and remember... I think also Affleck is is being brought back for Daredevil as well. I think there's a, a few... I mean, God, we might even get the old Fantastic Forecast back with Jessica... That means we get Chris Evans back as Johnny Storm, too, if that happens. Yeah. Oh, boy. So many things to unpack with just that one sentence you laid out there, Jim, right? This suddenly gets really, really interesting because... It's not a prequel. It's it's a sequel. It's a, a live-action version of What If. And again, all of it filtered through the Ryan Reynolds comic sensibility. By the way, just a Wolverine side story here. Uh, Hugh was a, a last-minute substitute for... In fact, I, I, I want to say it was Doug Ray Scott who had originally been cast as, as Wolverine but he was working on Mission Impossible 2, injured his back, and then couldn't go into the X-Men movie. And so three weeks into production, that's when they hired Hugh Jackman. But I'd always heard prior to Doug Ray that there had been somebody that Brian Singer had really, really, really wanted. And I just today discovered this. Care to hazard a guess? I'm going to default with Danny DeVito. It's the most logical choice I can think of at this moment. I, I, I have to admit, I love me some Danny DeVito. Yeah. But, uh, but sadly, no. I, it was Vigo Mortensen. Wow. Now, uh, I'm trying to think of a timeline of how long after that was Lord of the Rings. Uh, the X-Men movie does not arrive in theaters till July of, t of 2000. Now, it has to shoot to make that deadline in the, I want to say it has to start no later than September. So Vigo Mortensen meets with Brian Singer late winter, early spring of the year 1999. And Vigo, he turns down the role, but for two reasons. One reason is he lets his then 10-year-old son, Henry, read David Hayter's script, the original script for X-Men. <laughs> And, and the thing is, Henry is a is a real Marvel fan. Henry knows, you know, the X Men backwards and forwards, and he he literally goes to his dad. It's like, Dad, they made a lot of changes. And Henry goes with Vigo to the meeting, and brings this up. And, and Brian Singer's kind of like artistic license kid. And, and more to the point, movies are different than comic books. And Henry is just not impressed with this this explanation. And then. Vigo, the other thing, he actually talks about this on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. And he says, beyond the fact that my son didn't like the script, it's like, the thing that bothered me at the time was, was like, when it came to committing to the X-Men, was if I signed the contract that 20th Century Fox was offering, I was then locked into this endless series of movies, playing the same character over and over again. And I was nervous about that. So... That's why he says no to Wolverine. Now, jump ahead just a month or two, and Peter Jackson reaches out and is wanting to sign Vigo to play Aragon 
in all three of the Lord of the Ring movies. He says yes to that, which again, now wait a minute, didn't you say that you didn't want to play the, the same character over and over and over again in a movie? And you know, well, that was different. You know, X Men is an endless series of movies, whereas uh, Lord of the Rings, well, there's only three books. That's where it ends. I see a beginning, a middle, and an end. But the kicker, the son also reads the Lord of the Rings script, and like, oh, Dad, this one's good. Yeah. So it's like, as you mentioned, just three movies, and the son signs off on the Lord of the Rings screenplay. So is Henry working in in a Hollywood studio right now as a I producer? Don't I mean, know. he should be right. He knows how to pick them. We should follow up on that. But X-Men start shooting in Toronto in late September of 99. Lord of the Rings start shooting in early October of that same year down in New Zealand. They literally launch at the same time. Now, mind you, because we're shooting three movies back to back, the Lord of the Rings shoot continues till December of 2000. But it's hard to fault that decision, that logic. He picked right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if Doug Ray hadn't hurt himself while shooting uh, Mission Impossible 2, which I guess we should also mention here, if you want to learn more about the Mission Impossible movies, you know, you want to check out Drew Taylor and Charles Hood's brand new Mission Impossible podcast. Well, it's brand new because it's now the official Mission Impossible podcast, but light the fuse. So go check that out, folks. Drew and Charles are doing some good stuff. And by the way, folks, when we get back from this break, uh, we're going to share even more stories that movie stars have recently shared in regard to Marvel movies. This is that interesting time of year where summer blockbusters of all hue are coming through the door. And so there's a lot of performers out there doing interviews right now. And we just mentioned Mission Impossible, which uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 opened in theaters today, July 12th. Did you see that interview that, that Hallie Atwell did? And she talked about how close we came to not having the ending that everybody loves uh, to Avengers Endgame. Oh, really? Was she playing coy, saying she wasn't available for shooting unless they threw gobs of money at her for a couple of scenes? Or what was the holdup there? Well, no, it, it was kind of interesting. I, it's It actually dates back to Captain America Civil War, which arrived in theaters May of 2016. And what Miss Atwell talks about is they are literally getting ready to shoot Peggy Carter's deathbed scene. And in the background of this shot, there was a framed photo of Peggy and her husband, the, the husband that she married after, you know, Steve's dead, he's never coming back, and, and the several kids that she had with this gentleman. And they are seconds, you know, before shooting the scene when a Marvel producer looks at it and goes, nope, walks into the scene, literally pulls the photo out of the background. And it's like, why are you doing that? And it's like, I want to have options. She must remain pure for Steve and Steve alone. <laughs> well, you know, just the whole notion was we want an open playing field just in case we, we want to do something different here. If we, we show her married and show her with kids, we can't go. So what's fascinating to me is that's May of, two, again, May of 2016 that comes out into theaters. And that's, remember, that's Anthony and Joe Russo who also wrote that movie. 
and we've talked previously about the war room for uh, Infinity War and Endgame, where it's you know, the giant whiteboard of all the characters going in all different directions and every th- story thread they're trying to pay off. Right. And it's just the whole notion of, well, wait a minute, we, we're not tied anymore to to Agent Carter being married and having kids. It's like, well, let's explore that. And, and that ultimately leads to the ending that we all love. Okay, on the other hand, we have Robert Downey Jr. out now doing press for Oppenheimer, which opens the theaters next Friday, July 21st. Wait, is he in that? Is he producing it? What's his connection to Oppenheimer? He's one of the many folks playing famous scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh, okay. Though what's kind of interesting is he talked about how, you know, after 11 years of making Marvel movies... And to get tapped to be in a project like Oppenheimer was the notion of, oh, all right, I have to step away from the style of acting I've been doing for the the past 11 years. And he said, I was able to do it. Now, mind you, one of the reasons he was able to do it is coming off of Endgame, he and his wife uh, and their production company, Team Downey, had made Doolittle, which you might remember crashed and burned at the box office. He just talked about it was such a humbling experience after coming off of the giant Marvel movies to suddenly have a project where, you know, after everybody loved everything that you did and, right. you know, applauded to, to suddenly have this thing that nobody wanted, you know, and you would work so hard. And it was just sort of this wake up call that it's okay to be humble. It's okay to be humbled. It's like, oh, I, I, I thought it was going to be in another hit and this was going to be to launch an entire franchise of Doolittle movies. And yeah, that ain't happening. Did you happen to catch his series that he had uh, had produced, uh, Perry Mason, on HBO? I enjoyed the hell out of that. I it's did like as it well. Was, it was so depressing that they sent Perry to jail at the end of, of season two. And I was so looking forward to him getting out in season three, and now that's not happening. Right, so, yeah. Um, I, I hope the Downies do shop it around. Yeah. Though Downey, in telling this story to the folks on Oppenheimer, also shared, you know, that he bookends his career, or the moments in his career that smartened him up between Doolittle and an earlier movie. Uh, in fact, it, it, it's his first at Disney the Shaggy Dog remake that they released back in March of 2006. Uh, this is a, a Tim Allen starring vehicle, but Downey plays the villain in the thing, Dr. Kozak. Okay. And the thing of it is, is that he's reading the script and it's a really bad script. But again, this is Robert after his personal problems and his several trips to jail and that sort of thing. And he needs it to work. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Disney and says, you're going to protect me here, right? I mean, this is pretty silly on the page, and if this is done the wrong way, I'm just going to look like an ass. And Disney's like, oh, don't worry about it. We will protect you, Robert. You know, that We love that you're on board with this movie, and don't worry about it. Anyway, long story short, Shaggy Dog, the remake, comes out March of 2006. It does very poorly at the boxes. More to the point, the reviews particularly go out of the way to go after Robert. And lesson learned here you can't trust the studio Uh, more to the point i need to make better choices i need to be smarter about my career so the interesting thing is 
he goes in the exact opposite direction. He goes from a family-friendly comedy to the very th next thing he does is David Fincher's Zodiac about the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful movie. It is. It is. But that's one of the other things that sort of put him on Favreau's radar for Iron Man to the effect of, okay, this guy is willing to take some risks. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and he, uh, evidently he got a lot of teasing on the set to the effect of, they would put the Disney, I mean, the, you have to understand in the final moments of Disney's Shaggy Dog movie, Robert becomes a dog and is leaping around a, a courtroom with a tongue hanging out of his mouth and a tail sticking out of his pants and and that sort of thing. And it's just, just sort of like, when I looked at Shaggy Dog and I looked at Zodiac, you're the guy for Iron Man. That's, that's the way I want to go. Weird little bend on the story, though. Original Iron Man comes out in May of 2008, obviously does great business. By April of the following year, uh, shooting has begun on Iron Man 2, but then in August of the same year, Disney buys Marvel. And you gotta remember, Robert is not a fan of Disney at this moment, but it's like, that's not gonna impact us making movies, right? And the, and the folks at Marvel say, oh, don't worry about it, Robert, we're gonna be fine. And then uh, May of 2010, Iron Man comes out, and October of 2010 is when Disney acquires the rights to distribute the movie, the Marvel movies that Paramount had a contract with Marvel Studios to make. So we're talking Avengers, Iron Man 3, all of that. And Robert is not happy. It's been suggested that you remember how much Robert was getting paid to do the final Iron Man movies and mm -hmm. how upset Ike Perlmutter was about that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a number of folks I've spoken with at Disney. It's like, yeah, if we had treated Robert a little bit better with Shaggy Dog, I, I, I don't think he would have screwed us over quite, you know, really put the thumb screws to us. Right. We wouldn't have had the $60 million payday. And it's just sort of, you know, long story short, be nice to your actors. But speaking of, of comedies, another person who's out doing press right now is Adam Devine. He's in the brand new Happy Madison comedy for Netflix, The Outlaws. Okay. And he's actually been talking about, you know, it's interesting how these comedies are showing up on Netflix, but there's so few comedies now being released to, to theaters. And what was interesting is Adam sort of laid this at the feet of Marvel. To the effect of, well, if you look at these big comic book movies, they're $150, $200 million. Mm -hmm. And more to the point, they have all of these really funny characters in them, whether it's, it's Rocket or, 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 again, you know, like an Iron Man. How is a $20 or $30 million comedy going to stand up against that? As things change, as all of the, well, all of the streaming services... Mm -hmm. There were so many companies that wanted to get into that game because Netflix was just making so much bank from it. Mm -hmm. And so everybody put their chips on the table and then they realized that it takes a lot of money to be in the game. Mm -hmm. And then you need the subscribers. You know, first you need to invest all the money to make the content. Then you got to put mm -hmm. it out there. And then if the people don't come, well, you're screwed with this huge tab. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel that there's a certain level of movies, kind of like Hallmark Channel. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of explosions in Hallmark Channel movies, I'm, I'm thinking. No. Not a lot of, you know, alien invasions, people transforming into monsters, mm -hmm. people flying. None, none of that usually happens in a Hallmark movie. So that means the budget 
isn't spent on special effects. It's basically go to a location, have a nice romantic script, boy meets girl, they fall in love, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And these things that he's talking about, Adam's talking about like comedies that cost like 20 or 30 million. I -hmm. think the streaming services are going to be like, hey, we need content, but we also have a budget. So let's start focusing on movies that we can tell that don't necessarily need a huge budget. And that becomes, you know, things like the 40-year-old virgin. I don't really think that should cost a bazillion dollars to make that movie about a nerd that likes toys and who's never had sex. That should be a pretty simple, but you're spending it on your celebrities Mm -hmm. and the talent behind the cameras. You know, that's, that's about it, but not special effects. So, yeah, I think a lot of these movies, that, and he's he's right, mm. there isn't a lot of notice in the theaters. I mean, hell, if The Flash is the biggest disappointment in box office history for a superhero film, what's that going to be for your average romantic comedy? You know, they don't have a lot of breathing room. Interesting you bring that up because our friend of the show, Jim Shul, uh, went to the theaters and saw The Flash and really had high praise for the woman who played Flash's mom. She's the character that sets this story in motion. The Flash has to care enough about his mom and, and you have to be invested enough in the story to you know, care about what The Flash goes through for the mm-hmm. next two hours or so. Because that's what, what drives the story forward. He said, and they got this wonderful actress who, who delivered this wonderful, sincere performance and the thing of it is because you bought into that the flash would try to work this hard to save that woman he said it was an enjoyable time at the movies it's not the greatest thing i've ever seen mm-hmm. but you know it had some emotional weight and it had some fun stuff in it and I, I mean i gotta tell you i am being the typical lazy 60 plus year old white male i am waiting for this to show up on mac so i can watch it in the comfort of my home right but i will definitely watch this when it shows up and speaking of movies I will probably wind up watching at home, Shang-Chi 2. Face it, the end of that film tease, Shang-Chi will return. But Samu Liu, who's out now doing publicity for Barbie, he plays one of the Kens for that film, which opens on July 21st. He, he got asked about what's going on with Shang-Chi 2. And he said, what I keep hearing is it's now been pushed to the other side of the Kang Dynasty and Secret War. Mm. And he's obviously disappointed because he, he wanted to get back to the character who enjoyed making the film, but but at the same time, supposedly Shang-Chi will be in the mix with these films coming up. So I'm worried that there's like going to be the six-year gap between episodes one and two where it's like, do you even care anymore? Usually you kind of have to strike while the iron is hot, and if you put them up on a shelf for, you know, almost a decade it's kind of hard to get all excited about you know i i don't know did avatar 2 have that similar problem like i I know it made a lot of money Mm -hmm. but do you think it would have made more money if it had come out within i don't know maybe three or four even five years of the original instead of like a decade or two do not know what to tell you i know from friends who you know work in effects and, and several of the houses that worked on their project that you know, there's stuff they did in Avatar 2 that just were not possible in the first film. You know, sure. That, you know, the technology, performance can't capture technology in the rendering that just were not there. 
No, I mean, the, the movie's immaculate, and sometimes I forget that, like, almost nothing in the entirety of the in, in the movie is real or physical. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all computer-generated. It's like, do you, wh- at what point do you start talking about that movie on fine-tuning as an mm-hmm. animated film? I, I have argued that point, actually. Yeah. You know, there's so many of the top films, you know, that, that if you look at the top-grossing films of all time, and you look at their runtimes, you determine how much animation they have in them. They actually have more animation in their running times than some of the Pixar films, some mm-hmm. of the Disney films. And it's just, you know, the whole notion of, no, I'm a live action. Don't don't yeah. say I'm animated. Um, yeah. Okay. Speaking of animated characters, though, the, the one final story that came out of people doing press this week, and James Gunn, of course, has been out there talking up the casting news for Superman Legacy. And by the way, did you see that Nathan Fillion is, yeah. is going to join this as the, the Green Lantern, which kind of cool, especially given he's already voiced this for the, the Warner Brothers home entertainment animated features, the DC uh, films there. And he did a wonderful job. Yeah. But anyway, Gunn was talking about how everyone was sad when we saw the very last Stan Lee cameo, which it was an animated character in the original, uh, the first of the, the Spider-Man uh, into the Spider-Verse, right? Mm-hmm. Stan was in really poor health at this point. In fact, uh, he, what he talked about is when he was working on the screenplay for Guardians 3. And then the, the project is kind of put on hold because Disney, I mean, we, we all know the, the backstory, but the thing is that for James, there was a ticking clock. The notion was, you okayed the script. I want to go record Stan, you know, because I want him to play a voice a character in Guardians Three. And and the, what's interesting is the characters in the movie. Do you remember Lamb Shank, the kind of horrifying human lamb child thing? <laughs> Well, there's a great moment in the movie where Mantis sees him and screams. Yeah. And then, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I wasn't screaming at you. I was screaming at that person behind you. You, know, you look cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was Stan's character. The, what James envisioned doing was finding Stan and getting him to record a couple of lines of dialogue and then having that in the bank. And then when they finally shot Guardians of the Galaxy 3, they'd have this material to have Lamshank talk. In Stan Lee's voice. I heard a really tragic story about all of that. Mm-hmm. When uh, James Gunn went to go record, because he, he didn't have any video equipment, he just needed the audio for the voice, right? Mm-hmm. So he showed up in the hospital room, and there was this annoying beeping sound from all of the medical equipment Stan was hooked up to, so they unplugged it. And uh, and then he couldn't read. He couldn't re- He couldn't say his lines, and they couldn't figure out why. And uh, it's tragic. We're gonna, tragic. We're get us in so much trouble here. I mean, it, 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 that story does have a tragic end. I mean, you know, again, James is fired by Disney in July of 2018. And, and that very same year, November 12th, we lose Stan at the age of 95. And the fact that 18 months later, all is forgiven, he's back in house. And the fact that so much time and energy wasted on nothing, and they could have gotten that recording of Stan. So, yeah. okay. Uh, we promised at the top of today's show we would talk about Secret Invasion, Episode 4, which uh, debuted today on Disney+. Plus. And as you mentioned, they finally spent some money. Yeah. And again, folks, going to be some spoilers ahead here. 
all right. So let's talk about what we got right last week. Well, I mean, they started off, thankfully, they didn't draw it out and make it a big deal. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they gave us a little flashback. She turned herself into a super scroll. Oh, and mm-hmm. by the way, the healing ability, mm-hmm. that comes from Extremis from Iron Man 2. Oh, yeah. that's where we saw that name. Yep, okay. yep, yep. That was, I couldn't remember, you know, there was the Groot, there was the Jotunheim, and, and mm-hmm. et cetera, and I couldn't remember Extremis at the time. Mm-hmm. So that uh, ties us back to Iron Man 2. That gives them their healing power. So mm-hmm. they did a quick flashback. They show her, do a little, I give myself magic abilities, and then mm-hmm. go back to the road where her bullet wound magically heals, and she's mm-hmm. up and off, and, and we're back to storytelling. So hurrah for that. Okay. So let's talk about the roadie situation. Yeah, how long has he been a scroll now? That's the question. How, when, when did he get abducted or, or pod person replaced? Okay. And how long has that so, been going on? Let me share what Kevin Feige uh, had to say about this earlier today. So he said, we needed to have a character that one would not expect to be a scroll. It was very, very early days when we pitched this concept to Don, and he very much was into it and into being able to play with different sides of Rhodey that we hadn't seen before. And when we have amazing actors like Don Cheadle, uh, who have been with us for so many years, we pretty much treat them like partners in the creative collaboration. So Don was on board for this reveal of playing and revealing yet another side of Rhodey and revealing that, yeah, Rhodey has been a scroll. I've got it. We need to go back and look at the last time that Rhodey has been wearing his uh, mechanical legs to help him walk. Mm-hmm. Because remember, he had a, a back injury. C- mm-hmm. Couldn't walk for a while. And and so a couple of movies, he had been wearing some, some metal leg uh, helpers to help him get around. Mm-hmm. Right now, he ain't got no, no leg helpers. So maybe that's when the switch happened. The one thing, you know, if you press folks at Marvel Studio, what they will admit to so far is that Rhodey has been a scroll at least through Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, really now? Yeah. Well, that was only like a single appearance, wasn't it? Didn't he get like nominated for an award for showing up for about 60 seconds of screen time in the first episode or two? All right. Uh, That's not a lot of meat to chew on. Well, I, the concern is at Marvel Studios that especially out ahead of Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, you don't want to screw with people's memories of uh, Infinity War and especially Endgame. Because think about it, Tony Stark sacrifices everything. But if you remember that scene from the movie, you see Tony sort of stumble and, and sit down in the very first person that comes over to him is Rhodey. The whole notion is that at Marvel Studios, it's the effect of don't undercut that. Sure. You know, I mean, okay. I, I get the whole notion of, you know, if we're looking ahead to Secret Wars and we're looking ahead to, you know, our Super Scrolls and what this, you know, potentially will go forward into the MCU. But it's like, you don't want to undercut the emotional weight of that moment. Well, see, now that was going to be a, a question of if uh, Rhodey is a scroll, mm-hmm. who else could possibly be a scroll right now that we don't know about? And mm-hmm. so if the, it seems like they're drawing a line in the sand saying it can't happen during Endgame because the emotional weight must, must not be undercut. 
Mm-hmm. And while I get that, it, the fact remains that the scrolls have been here since like the 1990s. So they've yeah. had, yeah, they've had a lot of time for their infiltration. Yeah. Uh, but let's see, Tony Stark being the first, you know, superhero that we encountered in in modern day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the the heroes are rather new. The scrolls mm-hmm. have been around for a bit, but the heroes are fresh and new. So we haven't had a lot of opportunities for there to be a, a swap mm-hmm. happen just yet. But um, it, it makes me want to go, all right, Star-Lord, how long have you been on planet Earth now? You know, do a little quiz on these characters and see if they're who they say they are. Well, now, it's interesting you say that because this is supposedly going to be a button that is, is hit and hit hard moving forward in the MCU. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing from, from folks at at Marvel, and, and again, you know, with the word coming down from Disney to the effect of, you know, we have this $70 billion that, you know, been saddled with, uh, you know, through the Fox acquisition, and Disney Plus isn't making the money that, you know, we expected. And so we're kind of playing slippy-slidey with various projects that are coming down the pike. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, we have... Uh, the Thunderbolts coming. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is being turned into a uh, Hallmark romantic comedy <laughs> with no action whatsoever, but a tremendous love story. <laughs> You're joking, but the thing that I'm finding fascinating is I'm being told by folks at Marvel Studios that the young Avengers is now a priority project, and that's largely because it will be cheaper on the staffing up actors side? Oh yeah, well they haven't been with the studio for very long, they've got no demands, they're just mm-hmm. happy to be working. Mm-hmm. They're young and inexperienced. Plus, if you wait for another five or 10 years, they won't be the mm-hmm. young Avengers anymore, they'll just be back to Avengers, middle-aged well, Avengers. There we go, so, there we go. Yeah. But they are, are finaling the Marvels right now, mm-hmm. uh, getting it ready for its release later this year, and it, it's the just, it's what's making things interesting is between the SAG strike and you know the writers' strike is like we need to make sure that the Marvels, you know, which has Ms. Marvel, who will be a member of the of you know the the Young Avengers, does a better job of setting this up because we suddenly want that movie faster. Mm. You know the with the Marvels trailer right now, and mm-hmm. and this ties into Secret Invasion. The Secret Invasion's done such a great job of being able to tell you what time we are in based mm-hmm. on the goatee that Nick Fury is rocking at that time, or whether he's even sporting the eye patch or not, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. If if we're in present day, he's got a big old bushy gray disheveled beard with no eye patch. If we go back mm-hmm. to early Avengers days, he's trimmed, he's got an eye patch. Mm-hmm. So I look at the Marvel's trailer and we see him on the space station. He's got his, you know, trimmed goatee and he's got an eye patch. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't jive with the timeline we're currently in right now. And and so, yeah, it just makes me wonder. Either all of this is going to wrap up at, with Secret Invasion and Nick Fury is going to go, you know what, I, I could use a good shave. <laughs> and then he goes and shaves his shaggy goatee. And then we see him in the Marvels, or mm-hmm. the Marvels is set at an earlier time when Nick still had a, a, a razor uh, at his disposal thanks to the S.H.I.E.L.D. budget. I don't know. I have to admit, I'm fascinated by this myself because they right now, those puzzle pieces don't seem to click together. Now, not though, yet, not yet. All right, but, but speaking of it, we only have two episodes left. And if you're laying down money now, we thought 
we had a fake out death at the end mm -hmm. of episode three. Yeah, do we have another one? Is that what you're asking? This felt like Maria Hill to me again. Yeah, but I like Ben Mendelsohn, so I do too. Yeah. I do too. I um, mean, you know, Kobe has been with the gang for a while. Mm -hmm. She's had a, a lot of screen time, and it's like uh, if you need to sacrifice a, a character that hurts, mm -hmm. you know, it hurts to lose yep. Maria Hill. It, it really does. But man, mm -hmm. to lose two characters like that back to back, yeah. uh, it's like I, I gotta think that uh, he's got to have some healing juice in him somehow. Maybe, maybe he also stepped into the super scroll machine and got the healing abilities of Extremis. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. But you know, again, we we have a president of the United States. We have a, you know an attempt at starting World War Three. Going to be interesting to see where we go f to from here. Yeah. And as we mentioned, how we get the Nick Fury that looks like this to the Nick Fury that looks you know sharp and on on his A game up in space. So yep. Um, eh. All right. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of somebody being sharp and, and on his game, I, I got to tell you, Aaron, I have been so enjoying the, the 32nd Street shows that you've been putting you know, together, your, your, your outside podcast project. Mm -hmm. And you two have de definitely been popping the hood and, and sharing some, some fascinating stories. So what's up next? Uh, this week is my favorite Greek triplets, mm -hmm. Pathos, Ethos, and Logos. And uh, pathos is how you feel sorry for someone pathetic. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's your Sarah McLaughlin animal rescue shelter. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor puppy. I feel sorry for you. Mm -hmm. And then uh, ethos. That's, uh, well, I trust that person. Four out of five doctors, true trident. Oh, I trust doctors. I will mm -hmm. chew trident. And then logos. That's your logic. Uh, well, stats and numbers. Stats and numbers show that uh, we're up 90% this quarter, Bob. You should invest with us. And so uh, they are the oldest tricks in the book, but they're all, all Greek. They all are about how the brain works and what we use to influence you. So be on the lookout for the Greek triplets, Pathos, Ethos, and Logos on the next 30-second stream. Oh, okay. No, that, that sounds like a must-listen-to show. Holy yeah. cow. And we have a, a couple of shows here. We, we'd also like you to listen to uh, folks here at the, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We, of course, have... Uh, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Uh, we also have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. And I already mentioned uh, Drew's wonderful uh, Light the Fuse podcast, which again is now the official Mission Impossible podcast. And Brian Gaughan and I just got a new Looking at Lucasfilm out the door, sort of bemoaned what's been going on with Dial of Destiny. And beyond that, if I, we can ask you folks a favor, if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street, that would be helpful. Also, yeah, I know the social media sphere is getting kind of interesting out there. Uh, you know, Aaron, you're still on Twitter, right? Oh, I revel in the chaos. Love it. Okay. Love it. Okay. Like, like a pig in dirt. So uh, find okay. me at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Mm -hmm. And uh, likewise, I'm still on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Likewise, we're, we're still on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And let's see, beyond that, oh, oh, oh if, if you could do, I, I, I keep asking for favors here, but if you, if you really like what you heard here tonight, uh, 
If you want to go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And I think that's going to do it for this week, Aaron. So on behalf of Mr. Adams and myself, thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.